Uh, can we give a little uh, applause for Brooke and Hannah and everybody leading us? Because not much has changed since 2004 and the goodness that happens here. All right. Do you guys stand for the reading? Is that what we do here? Let's do that. Let's do that. <clears throat> so in light of everything that you guys have heard this whole semester and everything else, the first three chapters of the book of Philippians, have that in mind as I say this. Philippians chapter 4, verses 1 through 9. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, you whom I love and long for, my joy and my crown, stand firm in the Lord in this way, dear friends. I plead also with Eudea and I plead with Suntuche to be of the same mind in the Lord. Yes, and I ask you, my true companion, help these women since they have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel, along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. You may be seated. We'll begin with verse 4, where Paul says, Rejoice in the Lord always. He says, I'll say it again, rejoice. And Paul, of course, is writing this from some really cushy place, right? Where is he writing it from? Jail. He's writing it in prison. I have nothing else to say about this verse. He's writing it from prison. How upside down and backwards is it that you would tell a bunch of people um, to rejoice in the Lord always? He speaks about them, of course, as you hear these words. It's just overflowing with joy and affection. If you think of Paul as somebody who's not overflowing with love for people, go read verse 1. He calls them my joy and my crown, my brothers and sisters whom I long for. It kind of freaks you out almost, right? It's almost too much. Too much love in his heart. Yet this is all language that he uses. In verse 5, he says, let your gentleness be evident to all. Some translations have this as reasonableness. That's Reed's favorite. Where's Reed? Where are you, baby? That's Reed's favorite translation. Because uh, it's reasonable to be gentle, right? You guys practice gentleness in your life. It's very reasonable. It's a good way to, to get along with people. It's not true. It's not his favorite translation. But older translations actually use the word forbearance. So you can, uh, you, can, you can practice forbearance. Do you guys know what forbearance means? Anybody know what that means? It's like to, it's like to, it's like to give grace to people, right? It's like if, I, if, if you forbear, it's like you're just dealing with me. It's like you're enduring all of this that's all up in your business. Don't worry. Um, if you forbear, it's like, le like letting small slights go by. It's not, it's not allowing yourself to be all consumed by the rage or the anger or the frustration if you're somebody who's given to being irritated by a lot of different things, for instance, Paul is saying, let your gentleness be evident to all. You don't need to, to do that. You don't have to let all of that cake on to your soul. See, just in the same way that he's talking about joy in prison, somehow, he's describing an upside-down, backwards 
uh, way of living life. Let your gentleness be evident to all. Some of you, if you're like alpha, that's the last thing you want to hear. It's like if you want to be in command of an argument, you're going to win the argument. You're not going to practice more gentleness than the other person. There's a, there's a great quote from St. Francis de Sales. I don't know if we have the slide or not, but uh, he, says, he says, nothing is so strong as gentleness. Nothing so gentle as real strength. I've noticed as somebody who's in recovery for anger um, that, that the person that's in control in a conversation is the person that isn't, lo- isn't shouting the loudest. The person who's shouting the loudest, who's overcome with rage, grief, or whatever it may be, usually is the person who's being owned by their anger, whether that's in an interpersonal conflict or, or if it's online. And if you're online and uh, you're triggered by something that you see, it's very easy to stew on that, right? To this situation, I think Paul is encouraging us to let ourselves practice gentleness. And maybe more than that, he's saying speak blessing over the people who wrong you. Practice forbearance. Love them. Speak blessing and kindness over people. Allow Jesus to say to you, it's okay. It's okay to practice restraint, to anticipate maybe that in this crazy world, you will be wronged at times. Now, of course, I'm not talking about major conflict or major wounds. That's a different conversation for a different message about forgiveness. But the little things, some of those things, we can let those go by. We can practice wise restraint. Just like Yudia and Sintuke. I can hardly say those names, so we're just going to change them. Is that okay? We can change them back later, okay? But for right now, we're going to call it, let's call them Sydney and Elizabeth. Is that good? You guys good with it? I promise we'll put it back together at the end, okay? But, but Elizabeth and Sydney. So I actually have uh, Kirsten and I have Benita. Can, can you all help me out here? Would you, do you want to come down? Do you, is that cool? You just come down like closer so everybody can see y'all. Yeah, come on. Come on. So... Uh, Kirsten, did you want to be, you wanted to be Sydney, right? You wanted to be Sydney, and Benita, Bonita, Benita, you are going to be uh, Elizabeth for us, okay? So we got an E name and, and, and Sydney, okay. So uh, I'm sure when I read verse 3 that you were deeply, deeply concerned about what was going on between these two, right? They're contending for the gospel together, just like you do, right? You contend for the gospel along with Reed and Derek and the whole staff, right? Just, just say it, just say it, just say it, just live. You untied your hair, didn't you? Okay. Um, so I was talking to uh, my dear friend, uh, Jacob Nicholson, a future New Testament scholar up here. If you guys know Jacob, he's amazing. Uh, he's going to play Clement in this little play. No, but uh, we were talking on the way up here actually today about these verses and like what was going on between the two of you. I need you to stand. Um, I need one of you here, here, and I need you here. Thank you, Benita. I mean, sorry, Elizabeth, um, Elizabeth and Sydney. Um, and there may have been conflict going on. Some scholars think that there was something going on, just a little something between the two of you, even though you're, you're at work um, advancing the gospel, which is another way of saying uh, to the whole world that, that you're loved, that you're invited. Um, while in the midst of that, though, you're contending for the gospel along with all of your other coworkers, right? And uh, Jacob was saying, actually, you know, it's not altogether clear. You actually may have been sort of on the same side, but you're facing a problem together. So either way, you're contending for the gospel, and there's something that has, has, has maybe driven a little bit of a wedge, right? So either way, do you guys see what Paul's um, encouragement here is? Anybody want to read what it says? Be of the same mind in the Lord. Do you remember 
that really beautiful sermon that, that Leanne gave several weeks ago from chapter 2 about being of the same mind in Christ. It's the same phrase Jacob was telling me, and so that, that's used right there. And so the encouragement is just face each other just for a second. Don't worry, I promise. I told you we're going to have to do anything, okay? <laughs> trying to uphold my promise, okay? So you, you're commended to, to be of the same mind in the Lord, which, which meant practicing um, this really radical humility, putting one another's needs ahead of one another, right? To love one another. I, I like to use the word to insist on one another because you're sisters. And, and the beautiful thing is I think that he would have us hear these words in Christ, which by the way, Paul uses the phrase in Christ or, or in the Lord 164 times in his letters. So something really mysterious, and powerful, and beautiful is happening here. So Elizabeth and Sydney, that's really fun to say. Paul says that the peace of, of God will guard your hearts and minds if you place them in Christ Jesus. So as you look at each other as friends, and by the way, these two were just hanging out giggling for service, and I was like, y'all are perfect for this. You love each other. And so as you look at each other, this is what I think having the same mind of Christ looks like. And, you know, this side of the room, you guys look at the other side of the room. Let's just join, let's just join Elizabeth and Sydney. As you look at one another, think about these words. Y'all are giggling too. Hear these words as you look at one another. Whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. See these things, O oh beloved ones, in one another as fellow image bearers of the one true God. And then Paul says, the peace of God will be with you. You could hardly look at each other that long, could you? <laughs> you guys can go sit down. Thank you so much. Give it up. Living in Christ and having the same mind as Christ is this glorious invitation to seeing what is sacred, what is beautiful, what is lovely, what is true, what is noble in one another. See, I don't think Paul is giving us some abstract wisdom about sitting around in our, in our dorm room one day thinking about what is excellent or praiseworthy. He's inviting you to see reality. And deeper than that, he's, exciting, he's inviting you to see one another be held by the love of God. This is who you are. So it's not a mere intellectual exercise that Paul is inviting any of us to. So my prayer for you all is that when you see one another, and certainly Elizabeth and Sydney or uh, Benita and Kirsten, may you see each other as lovely and admirable. We might otherwise miss a lot of the things in our busy and anxious lives. But if we slow down, Paul invites us to see something else. In verses 6 through 7, he writes, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Is anybody else bothered by his, his word, don't be anxious about anything? Like, is that possible? I know joy is upside down when it's in prison, and then I know gentleness is upside down when it's in relationship with one another, when we think we got to win. But not being anxious about anything? I had a mentor who used to tell me that that's very unrealistic. Um, in fact, oftentimes, uh, if you go to a professional counselor, and I, I, re I recommend it, by the way, um, and you tell them, I wasn't feeling anxious at all. You know what that's an indication of? 
you had high anxiety. Being a non-anxious presence, for instance, is a good intention. It's a wonderful thing to aspire to. It doesn't exist. Having no anxiety, she said, means you're dead. Aspire to have a less anxious presence. If you have a less anxious presence, then you can at least um, put it a little bit, you can actually quantify it a little bit. It's not a yes or no enterprise. You can start thinking about this anxiety because we all have anxieties and worries in life. But the invitation here, I think, isn't to pretend like anxiety doesn't, doesn't exist. The invitation here is to present your anxieties to the God who loves you so much, who says, cast all of your cares and anxieties and worries and fears and frustrations, your anger, everything that's unresolved, cast it onto me and I will take it because I love you. So I, I, I think if you get tripped up by the anxiety verse there, um, keep it in mind that you're in good company because every human being on the planet wrestles with this thing called anxiety. What's interesting and what's different about it is Paul has this thing that's tucked into those verses. He says, do all this with thanksgiving. Did that catch anybody else off guard? You heard that I kind of, I kind of articulate, I kind of emphasize it a little bit, a little bit more. I think that's what makes this different. Uh, somebody once said that only the grateful are paying attention, which is a really blunt and wonderful way of saying if you aren't living your life with gratitude and openness, you're going to miss all sorts of things. You're definitely going to miss the things that are pure and noble and beautiful and lovely, right? And the, the effect of all this, if we bring all this to God, is what Paul calls the peace of God. And that's what I want to consider before we close our time together. So here's a quote from Dietrich Bonhoeffer. You guys heard of this guy? He's kind of an interesting person to think about these days. Yeah, read Denson. We were talking about this sermon together. It was in 1929 in Barcelona that he preached this sermon. Um, I just said that to impress you. I don't really know. But uh, um, he says these words. Let us not deceive ourselves. We are unable to want anything but the peace of God, just as flowers are unable to want anything but the sun. You sure about that? When I look at the world around me, I'm not really sure that I see people who are everywhere and always craving peace. It doesn't seem to be readily apparent if you just kind of take a quick look at the world and gosh, thinking about somebody like Bonhoeffer in a time like this with all the turmoil and the war and the hatred and the violence in our world, at first blush, I would say, actually, I think not. But I think our, our friend Dietrich is taking us somewhere deeper. He's saying that underneath everything else, the thing that you long for, the thing that you were born for, that you were created for, was this deep peace within yourself. And again, within, within and between one another. You all are connected. You are the body of Christ. He said that all these impressions that you get about things that are true or noble or pure or lovely, these are, these are impressions of what you were created for. And as I know you have been taught in the past from Reed and Derek and Kevin and others, this peace, this shalom, to go back to the real root here, means a, a deep interconnectedness, a wholeness, a set togetherness of life, even a harmony. It means, again, insisting on one another as brothers and sisters, united by the very blood of Christ. Uh, an old monk that I like a lot once called uh, the body of Christ a body of broken bones. What's interesting about this metaphor is that if you think about putting together, reconstituting a body of broken bones, that involves some really painful, maybe some really awkward times, like having two people stand next to each other and 
look at each other and hear whatever is noble. It's awkward and it's difficult and it involves forbearance and it involves forgiveness and it involves speaking words of encouragement and love. Whatever it might mean for you to take that kind of risk to now reunify the body, you and I have been called to be reconcilers in this world. And that means that we need to let in this peace and this love of God into our own hearts and for one another if we are ever to go out into the world and bring reconciliation to it. So it demands Euodia and Suntuke reconciling. And what Paul has in mind here and is telling us is that peace can guard our hearts and minds. And in that way, we can create true peace in this world. So here is my challenge for you this week. Rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again. Rejoice. Take that joy seriously. Our world is craving true, genuine joy the joy of being with one another, the joy of loving one another well, deeply, of following up and showing up for one another, of encouraging one another. So rejoice in the Lord always, wherever you are. Whenever the chips are down, God forbid you find yourself in prison, but rejoice even still. Be grateful, because only the grateful are paying attention. And if you allow gratitude into your heart and into your eyes, you will see the world completely differently. Be gentle, because nothing is as strong as gentleness. And you will find that as time goes on and you allow that gentleness more and more in, your heart will become more and more like God's. Be kind to yourself. And in so doing, bring your anxieties and your fears to God. That is one of the greatest kindnesses we can, we can give to ourselves, is acknowledging how much and receiving how much God loves you. So I pray that the peace of God may guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And finally this, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. I see them all in front of me right now, and I'm so grateful that you're here. As Leanne and others have said in weeks past, I am so grateful that you continue to show up and be a part of this body. Um, as you heard Derek say, it's been a few years that we've been together and we've been dear friends. There is something remarkably special, and I don't have the words to articulate it. Some of you may know what I mean. Something so special about this body, about this ministry, and the love and the care that gets poured into it every single day. Um, it doesn't surprise me. You guys meet for prayer on weekdays, every morning, and everything else. Continue to pour into one another and see what is true and noble in one another. So let us continue to encourage one another with these words and make them into a reality. Would you all pray with me? Father, you have loved us since the very beginning, and we come to you now in this time asking that your, your grace and your affection and your love would, would, would pour out over each and every one of these folks here. God, that's what I ask. May it, may it ring true, God, that you see us and that you know us and that you love us. And God, may that radically transform everything about how we treat one another. May we rejoice, may we be gentle, may we be grateful. God, may we have the same mind that you yourself have. And would you continue to make us more like you? I pray all this in your beautiful name, Jesus. Amen.